Well, amen to that. Uh, We are so glad that you're continuing on with us this morning and through this season. Um, As I as we do, I want to remind us that we're not just in Corona time. We're in a different reality than inconvenience. We're in a different reality uh, than suffering and, and quarantine. The reality of the Christian during this time is resurrection, is Eastertide. It's this season where we have hope beyond hope, hope beyond what we see, beyond what we think. Instead, Jesus is risen out of the grave, on the loose, and reigning and ruling still even during this time. I want to welcome you as we continue and as we do, uh, a reminder for you that we are going through several different topics uh, through that really kind of come out of um, our mission statement, which is inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. And so what is it, what parts of life do we need to emphasize uh, as we think about kind of living resurrected lives. We talked about our emotional states a few weeks back. We talked about being courageous with our generosity. We then talked about being courageous with our marriages. And now this week, we want to talk about what does it look like for us to take courage, to take heart with our children, with our parenting. And before I go too far into parenting, two things. Number one, if you're not a parent, don't check out. Um, Instead, parenting is nothing more and yet nothing less than discipleship. Surely you will find some principles to apply in your life, whether you're single uh, and not yet married, or whether you're married and not yet have children, or whether you are an empty nester. There will be places in here for you to apply God's Word. And then secondly, uh, my prayer is that you would not be discouraged as we work through these topics. And in fact, this is the last topic that we'll get to before we celebrate the ascension of Jesus, which is next week. But instead, my hope, my desire, really, is that we would, we would, uh, we would comfort uh, those that need to be comforted. Um, and that we would uh, truly be a people through these times, through these topics, to comfort those who need comforting, comfort the disturbed, to disturb those that are comfortable, but not to disturb the disturbed or comfort the comfortable, if that makes sense. Instead, right out of the scriptures, out of 1 Thessalonians, it says that we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint-hearted, to help the weak, and to be patient with them all. And my prayer is that this word will hit you somewhere along in your journey, whether you need to be encouraged, whether you need to be helped, uh, whether you need to be uh, someone to have someone to be patient with you. That's my prayer for you today. So as we get into courageous parenting, let me remind you of a couple of things, right? Like parenting is discipleship, and it's, it's all over the scripture. From really Genesis, the first part uh, of the Bible, Genesis 1, it says, be fruitful and multiply. So there's this, there's this first command to, all, to, to Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to have more children, to multiply. That's in our DNA. That's how God's created us from before the fall. That's one of the first things that God says over humanity. And then one of the last things that God says to humanity before he ascends into heaven is to go and make disciples. And there's this connection here of multiplication, both physically and spiritually, that God's put before us, both in Genesis 1 and in Matthew 28. You see, discipleship and parenting are eternally and intimately connected. 
Uh, they are throughout all of Scripture. It is God's desire for us to, to marry those two that we would physically multiply and yet spiritually multiply. And so my question as we start is, as you physically multiply, how are you also spiritually multiplying? What are you discipling your children into? Surely, surely I tell you, my friends, you are discipling them into something. Um, right now, it's probably a whole lot of Netflix or a whole lot of screen time. Like we're, we're probably not gonna get away from the massive amounts of screen time that we have, whether it be through Zoom and uh, what's going on with school or just the downtime and the inability to socialize like normal. That's kind of a, a, a temporary normal that we're in. So I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not harping on anybody that has increased our screen times during this time. Right now, you're watching me on a screen. And so that's just our reality right now. But outside of Corona time, like this is a unique time with screens, I get it. But outside of this, are we discipling them into the back of our phone um, as we're on our phone and they want our attention? Are we discipling them into success, to um, sports achievement, to, to regular achievement? Are we, are we discipling them into busyness? Right now, it's probably not the way, but maybe we need to hide this word in our heart. Maybe we're discipling them to, into anxiety and worry or maybe just like uncalculated risk. Wherever we are, we're discipling them into something. But my, uh, my encouragement for us is that we would disciple them into Jesus. Of course, that would be my encouragement, but it's all throughout the scriptures. And I think Psalm 127 is a great start for us. It's a great start. So, so let me just unpack this background of Psalm 127. Um, at the beginning of Psalm 127, in the Hebrew, there's a zero in the Psalms, like verse zero, and it's the first part where it says, a song of ascents of Solomon. Um, I found it interesting this week when I was looking at Psalm 127 that that word for of Solomon could also be to Solomon. And so that would change the way that we would read this Psalm because now all of a sudden it's from David or it would be presumed to be from David to his son Solomon. And if we know anything about the, the history here, that, that David is now writing to Solomon to say, man, you can build the house. What house? David had plans to build the temple, and God did not let David build the temple. And so he handed those plans to his son Solomon. That would be his premier achievement as king would be to build the temple of God. And David now writing to Solomon, hey, you may build that temple, Solomon. You may build that house, but unless the Lord builds it, it is absolutely worthless. And he go on in this passage, just to give some context, and he's saying this to his son. You can have the greatest achievement in your world, in the whole world during your time, which literally, that's probably what the temple was like. You can have the greatest achievement that you want, Solomon, but if you neglect your family, it will all be worthless. And in fact, that's what we see. It's what we see, actually, in the history of Solomon's life and in the history of Israel, that this temple that would be built would eventually fall and go away. It's not in, it's not in existence today. And in fact, the thing that was built in place of it was a, was a poor substitute. But this this, this wonder of the world was built by Solomon. And in the meantime, he neglected his family, had a thousand women that were attached to him through, through various marriages and, and concubines. And his son Rehoboam, I mean, he lacked the wisdom that his father had. 
he did not pass down the very thing that God gave him to be able to run a kingdom. You see, it's all vanity and given time. It's going to prove to be worthless if we don't prioritize those people around our table, not just necessarily the people around a conference room. See, that's the context that we're in right now, y'all. That's the context that, that, that David is writing then to Solomon in Psalm 127. And he's saying this, you may have all the riches the world has to offer, but if you fail your family, you fail. And so with this context, that we remember that our career, our reputation, our treasure, all the promises are all pointless, if not for a deep, abiding trust that they are all from God and they are all for God. And so I just want to pull three things out of this psalm on parenting. Look, we could talk about parenting for literally weeks. I just want to pull three things out of this particular psalm today to help us understand some things, not just during corona time, but during whatever new normal uh, gets established as we come back together sometime soon. First one is this, parenting Parenting is a trusting partnership between you and God. And so I want to read the psalm once again, and I'll read Psalm 1 and 2 here, that this deep, abiding, trusting relationship with God is built on a partnership, a partnership between you and Him. He says this in verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Man, I don't know about you, but there are times during this time where we're like, we're working harder than ever. Um, We're trying to work smarter than ever. And you can rise up early and go to bed late. And that's just still not enough. And this gift of sleep that God gives his people really happens when we realize that we are in a deep partnership with him. You see, the most skilled laborers can labor. The most alert watchmen can keep watch. Those watchmen would be on the city walls to see if their enemies were coming or drawing near. Um, you, You can have the most diligent workers who would come up early and stay late at night, and it is all worthless unless there is a deep, abiding trust to build, to watch, and to work alongside what God is doing, which is building and watching and working. Parenting is a relationship and a partnership with God to be responsible, to disciple our children, to raise them to fear. If you want to see the the priority of fear in a parenting relationship, read Psalm 128. It's all about how the parent raises their child to fear the Lord. Do we have a healthy fear of the Lord with our children? But it is a partnership to raise them to fear, to honor, and to worship God above all. But we will only see results in as much as God sees fit. And that will either be the most frustrating thing, that we will only see results as God sees fit, or it will be the most freeing thing. We're not in control of results at all. So let me illustrate it by saying this. Some of you right now are building homes in McCurry Meadows. Some of you have built homes in Longmeadow Farms and in other neighborhoods around us. And when people ask you, hey, are you building that house? You go, yeah, yeah, we're building a house over McCurry Meadows. And I want to ask you, are you, are you building that house? 
with your hands? Are you the guy out there laboring? No, you're not. Instead, you are trusting a more skilled worker, more diligent, with a more diligent availability, right? And with a lot more wisdom than maybe you or I would have to be able to do whatever. Like I recently laid down new floors in my bathroom, and it took me one hour, and I'm not exaggerating, one hour to do one angled cut for my quarter round. I needed the wisdom and the partnership of God in that moment. And so I thought to myself, Lord, help me. And immediately I called Rodney Clayton to help me. And he said, I don't know, man, just eyeball it. I was like, great, you're the engineer, man. You're supposed to have a more specific understanding of how this works. He's like, yeah, yeah, just eyeball it. It's fine. I don't know. Look at YouTube. Oh, okay, YouTube. Got it. Okay, that's where God's wisdom is. Yes. But we're not building these things with our own hands. You're not building a home in McCreary Meadows with your own hands. There is a partnership there between what you can provide, which is usually earnest money, to what they provide, which is skill set and diligence and wisdom and experience. I think about that with us and the Lord with our parenting. We provide like, the, like boots on the ground, skin on skin, right? Eyeball to eyeball, but God provides the thing that that really is the wisdom and the power to transform our little one's hearts. See, this is all throughout Scripture that God is the one that will provide the results in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6 and 7. Uh, This is one of my favorite verses in pastoring and in church planting because parenting and pastoring are not all that different. But 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7 say this, I planted, Paul is saying, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. You see, we are in a partnership with God to produce the results that only he can produce. I don't know where you are during corona time, but I think it's amplified what was already lying dormant in our hearts. Um, And I think parenting, like when we start thinking about building and watching and laboring, um, I think about what are we building and watching and laboring with our own children? Are Are we diligent to build what God wants us to build? Are we watching to see what dangers would befall them? And there's like two camps here. Like you either land on the wisdom camp, like I don't think that's a wise decision. Or you live on the the risk camp where it's like, yeah, man, go for it. Like, I mean, if you get hurt, you get hurt. Well, you're going to learn sometime. And so you're either imparting wisdom before there's like trouble or or just letting wisdom come beyond like after failed experiences. And I don't know where you are in that camp. I can tell you that we have realized that we're a little bit on the wisdom camp. Like we're going to, we're going to, you know, frame it as, oh, we got to be wise. Not that we're afraid that they're going to get hurt. No, it's not fear. It's wisdom. And so we're going to be wise about what they do. And so two-thirds of our kids, uh, Moses and Reese, are in these, these seasons of transition. Like Moses is, is, is not a little boy anymore, a little baby anymore. He's now a little boy, and he wants to run, and he wants to go, and he wants to do things, and he just kind of disappears, and it freaks us out every once in a while. And then Reese, who's turning into a tween or a teen, I don't know what a tween is, but we'll go with a teen at some point. And like there's, there's new risks there with new freedoms, like going to Sonic. What is that about? I don't know. That's not allowed, but they, apparently it's allowed. And so there's, this, there's this, this new transition that's stirring up in us. What camp are we in? Whisk, whisk? Risk or wisdom, right? Will we keep our kids from taking new risks, this watchman mentality, this building mentality, or will we trust them to learn new boundaries with God's 
eye on, on whatever is going on in their hearts, right? If we keep them safe and minimize risk, or we prioritize risk and let them fail, no matter where we land on the wi- risk or wisdom uh, uh, continuum, it's all worthless unless we believe that God is doing something greater for their souls beyond what we are trying to do. And so I could send my son or my daughter out to just kind of figure it out, or I could keep them home to where I'll figure it out for them. Wherever we land on that continuum, man, it's pointless unless God, we realize God is doing something in them and for them. And isn't that the good news in parenting? That in our partnership with him, that he is watching. That he is, he's doing more than watching. He's, he's, he's working. He is intimately involved in every stubbed toe and in every wayward heart. He is not absent, nor is he impotent, but working and weaving his ways into our hearts through hardship and through disappointment. You see, parenting often reveals our shortcomings in our own trust with the power of God through that partnership. When we ask for prayer for our kids as they return to school in August or October or whenever that's going to end up being, may we also be self-aware enough to realize that we need prayer for control. We need prayer for anxiety and worry that maybe God won't take care of them the way I would. See, isn't that what we need? We need that sort of self-awareness and dependence through this. And may we believe this for our kids as much as it's easy for us to believe it for ourselves that God forges our character through suffering isn't that what Romans chapter 5 says verse 3 through 5 that he says we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, wherever we're at, risk uh, or, or wisdom, may we also, though, realize that God is working through the most trialsome periods of our lives. We believe that in ourselves, but we also believe it in our children, that he is forming their character through all of this. See, we can only come to that conclusion. We can only come to that deep trusting reality of trusting God through suffering of even our own children when we realize that we're in partnership with the King of Kings. We're in partnership with the one who reigns above all things, that he certainly still reigns over that stubbed toe, over that wayward heart, and that he's forging something. What is he forging? Character, hope, hope, the things that will not disappoint us no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. That's the first thing out of verses one and two. Second thing, children are reminders of God's grace. They are reminders of God's grace, are they not? Verse uh, three, look at this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. God is granting us a gift in our children. The deep abiding trust that God is the ultimate parent of our children comes when we remember that our children are a gift from our generous and gracious God. You see, having children is a work of God's grace. He didn't have to give you your kids. They are gifts. Listen now, they are gifts to be enjoyed. 
They are gifts to be enjoyed, not inconveniences to minimize or to kind of shoo away or ignore. Quarantine life has us forgetting that. I, I'm with you. I can hear my children blink right now. So I, 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 I'm feeling you right now with kind of the, the, the heightened stress of being home with our children. I get it. Okay, But children remind us that our God is generous and gracious. Now, let me just take an aside. Let me speak to those that don't have kids. Okay, If you're single, um, you're not married yet, uh, this is still God's grace to you. That maybe you have that desire to get married and have children one day. I want, I want to speak to you, but I also want to speak to the married couple who's struggling with infertility, who's dealing with regret of like poor choices in their past or whatever it may be. Um, I want to speak to that person and just say like, like God hears you. He knows, he knows exactly the difficulty that you're in. Um, God's grace to you though, may be no children for now. Um, and I would just say like, if, if, if you're in that camp, if you've, you've been struggling with infertility, I'm sorry, there's nothing that I could say to take away disappointment or the doubt that you have of God's grace to you. I can't take that away. But I do want to encourage you that you trust God in ways that I probably never will. You're pleading and praying for things from God that ways that like I haven't in a long time. And I want to encourage you to keep asking, keep trying, keep pleading with him. If it's been an extraordinary amount of time, it may be a good time to go seek medical advice on what you can do next. I just, I want to encourage you to keep at it, that God knows you. He sees you. Seek him. That if he's allowed for infertility for a time, the next, you, you, you can count yourself uh, the, the next in a long line of families that God has visited in their affliction of waiting for a child. God will meet you in your disappointment. And so maybe, whether you're single, and, and many, like this is very similar to how we encourage single people, is how I would encourage those that don't have any children. Maybe you're not uh, struggling with infertility. Maybe you just have made the conscious decision that you're not ready yet. You know, like wherever you are in this journey, may that be the thing. May that be where you are that's the place where God is reminding you of his grace. And it may be that this is your opportunity to share your wound to help heal another's wound. This is your opportunity to share your story so that you can encourage others who are disappointed, who are disillusioned, who think that God's forgotten about them. And you, though you don't have children yet, maybe you're the person to be able to encourage them of God's presence and goodness. Okay, so I want to just cover that person because I, on days like parenting and marriage, it's easy to just go like, man, the church is totally out of touch um, with everyone's stuff. And that's just not true. Like God sees you. He knows what you're going through. Read the scriptures and you will find great hope that God is giving you a special measure of grace that those with kids may not remember and may not have ever experienced. But for those of us that have kids, for those of us that are uh, constantly shushing and quiet. I'm on a Zoom call and I have a meeting and if you could go in the other room and are you sure you haven't met your quota for screen time and whatever it is that's kind of floating on us right now, 
I would just uh, plead with you to be um, truly aware of the fact that whatever situation you're in with your children, let it be a reminder of God's generosity through grace. They are a heritage from him, a reward from him. You see, parenting reminds us of God's grace, right? Does not their disobedience bring you then to depend on the God who is powerful enough to change their heart, who is wise enough to give you the the, the proper strategies to be able to parent them well in any given moment, whether it be through reward or through rebellion. He is giving you kindness and patience and grace to respond like Jesus responds to you. See, when I think about like that we need to be reminded of God's grace, I just think about like, If we are not careful, we can parent out of law and out of strictness or anger or just absolute hands off. I'm not parenting you at all. And in both cases, we are forgetting God's grace. See, in their their disobedience, are we not reminded of our own disobedience with God? When they fall again and again, remember your own walk with your Father in heaven. Don't you fall again and again? And how does he parent you? But with patience and with kindness, and with discipline. When they underperformed your expectations or to their own abilities, look at God's grace when you do the same with him. When their behavior falls short of your own expectations, remember God's grace to you as you fall short of God's standards in your own life. When they rebel against what they should know better than, remember that God's grace to you when you deliberately disobey Jesus. When you love them more than you could ever imagine, remember then how God's love for you overflows. Or perhaps they're, they're not rebels. Perhaps they're really good at rule keeping. Man, remember God's grace to the rule keepers that their righteousness is not based on their own good behavior, right? Sometimes we need our kids to get in a little bit of trouble to, to this, like remind them of God's grace and his goodness. Not a, not a lot, you kids that are watching, not a lot, just a little bit, all right? These children are reminders of God's grace for us. Thirdly, <clears throat> thirdly, not only that we are in deep partnership with God, not only that they are a reminder of our need for grace, that he is a generous and, and beautiful God that's given us children and that we need his grace. But thirdly, we must parent the future version of our child or children, not the present version of our children. Like, this is real difficult when they're three. Super difficult when they're two. To continue to have patience and kindness and all the Mom, 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 dad. Dad, mom, dad, mom, mom, dad. Whoa, holy moly, just chill out, bro. Chill out over there. It's real difficult to remember that we are not just parenting a two or three or five or seven-year-old version of our child. We've got to parent them like they're 12 or 17 or 27 or 47 because eventually they will grow up and they will remember, yes, the rules. They'll also remember the grace, but they're also going to remember, like, how did they treat me? Were they kind? Were they generous? Were they loving? Were they repentant? That's what they're going to look back on and remember when they're three and incessant with their needs. Will they want to stand by our side at the city gate? See, that's the question in verses four and five. And so I want to I just re- read that 
and then we'll see. We will see this reality that we've got to future, the, the, not just the present version, but the future version. Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. Parent, you're the warrior. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with these children, with these arrows. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. So the picture here, biblically, is that the gate was kind of like the courthouse. It was the town square. It was where the elders met. It is where the marketplace was. That was the, like, there was no town square. The gate was the town square. It was the courthouse. That was where all sorts of things got hashed out in the city. And the picture here is that when a father gets in his old age, he is vulnerable to those that want to take advantage of him at the city gate. But the one who has his children standing by him is less vulnerable against those that want to take advantage of him. And so the question is, I think out of Psalm 127, is are you parenting your children now in such a way that when you're older and you need them to stand by you to protect you, you are protecting them, now they're protecting you, will they want to be there? Not are you going to make them be there, Will they want to stand by your side so that those around you in ancient Israel will mean like, that man, that family is blessed. Their, their partnership with God has created not just obedient children, but gospel-believing children. Those that, yes, weigh like wisdom and risk appropriately and live generously. They, they, man, they, they love their enemies. They're generous to God's people. They help the poor. They, they care for the orphan and the widow. Those are the kinds of people that, that we, if we raise them up, then those around us will call us blessed. You see, will they want to stand beside us as arrows? There's a mixed metaphor here that these children are next to us at the city gate, but that they're also arrows in the hands of a warrior and in those days, you didn't just go down to academy and pick up some more arrows. No, they were just raw wood, these arrows. And the raw wood had to be taken into someone's hands and shaped and forged and, 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 and cut exactly like the warrior wanted for times of war. And God is saying to all of us, your children, no matter the age, your children, but particularly those that are young, they are raw pieces of wood that need to be forged and skillfully prepared for a day of battle. That's what our children are. And so we've got to just not just think of them as raw wood. We've got to think of them as a weapon against our enemy. And this truth will remain true for us. Our children, as we forge them, as we, as we put them, uh, like all of our skill set and all of our wisdom and all the things that we need to build into them, just going back to verse 1-2, right? All the things that we put into our children, they will either turn into weapons, right? Weapons in, in the hands of a warrior, or they will turn into ammo in the hands of our enemy. And I hate to break it down in like black and white, right? But in the end of all things, that's how it's going to be. And so my question for us, my encouragement for us is what are we shaping our children into? With all of our efforts, 
with all of our, 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 our skills, with our hands that pe- take this raw wood and forge them, what are we doing to lead them to believe about the glory of God, about God's goodness, about his provision during this time and in every time, about his kingdom, about his kingship, about what he wants of us and our holiness, our joy, our love, and our deepest trust, where will we put it? What are we teaching our children about the heart of God to fill the earth with his glory? What are we modeling out for them on how to use the things that we treasure, our stuff, our vehicles, our home, our treasure? How we parent now will shape the kind of arrow that is used in the future. Because, like, let's be assured that the arrow is not meant to stay in the quiver forever. At some point, the warrior takes the arrow out of the quiver and he puts it to bow and he, 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 he or she, right, aims it carefully with precision into the darkness and lets go of that arrow so that it can make its impact in the darkness. So how are we shaping these arrows to be aimed and shot into the darkness for the glory of God? How are you preparing to launch them into the mission of your neighborhood, of loving your neighbor, to do good for the orphan, to care for the widow, to provide for the naked and hungry? We may get tired of them when they're three, but Lord, have mercy on us that they will not stay that age forever. They will grow. And when they do, will they, will they be courageous enough to go out into the darkness, to go out into world mission, perhaps, go to India or Africa or into like urban Houston and be able to bring the gospel to dark places? Are we preparing them for that? See, dads and moms, may we be a people that do not sacrifice our kids on the altar of career opportunity. No, we can earn all the money in the world, but if we build our home without the presence of a mom and a dad as much as we can, it will be in vain. You see, moms and dads, don't sacrifice your kids' development by always keeping them safe. May we, may we run that risk of living at risk. What if they get hurt, I, I would ask. But I would also ask, what if they never get hurt? Both moms and dads don't get so caught up in running the race of climbing the ladder of keeping up with the Joneses that you and I forget that our first task is to model out the contentment of God's grace. That in in, in all things we have founded, found that God is enough, right? Isn't that what Paul talks about in Philippians 4? That in all things I have found him to be able to provide contentment for me. Why? because he's been gracious to me. Parents, may we partner with God to disciple our children into the kind of love and tenderness and courage to live, lead, and love the way Jesus did, with a love for our enemy, with forgiveness for our friends, and with limits around our abilities as we trust the God who is able to do the thing that we can't. Provide growth. May we partner with him and may we continue to do that through Corona time and in all time. Would you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We can't do any of this without you. We need your grace to not only repent well with our children, but also to be aware with you that we certainly 
cannot do this without your help. Cannot do this without your grace, without your mercy, without your presence in our lives. We can't do this without understanding that you're in control, that whatever dreams we may have of our children, they pale in comparison to the dreams that you have for them. Whatever strict measures we're putting in place of our children to keep them, sel- to keep them safe, out of love for them, let us be reminded that no matter what we're doing, you love them far more. You love them far more, even when they get hurt, even when uh, like our eyes aren't on them. 24-7. Lord, your eyes are. Even when they, 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 they disobey, may we be reminded that we disobey. May we be in deep partnership with you to see your grace and to see the future version of our children that are flourishing in the kingdom. What kind of parenting does it take to do that? You've given us the spirit of wisdom And we want to take advantage of that. So, Holy Spirit, give us counsel. Holy Spirit, give us comfort. Holy Spirit, help us be reminded of your presence in not just our own lives, but in the lives of our children. You're forging something. May it be a sharpened arrow for your kingdom. May it be a a, a sharpened arrow in the hands of a skillful warrior to be able to take out the heart of our enemy who longs to bring injustice and darkness in our own hearts, much less the world. And may our children be a reminder that we are at war and may we win the war by your grace and by your power. We are grateful for the victory we have in your son, Jesus. May we walk in it. May we trust you. And may we continue to plead with you for mercy along the way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.